All right. Welcome back to the Red Bulletin Podcast. I'm your host, Andreas Georges. We're talking to top performers in worlds of adventure, sports, culture, and the innovation space. We're trying to understand their hurdles that they had to overcome, the, the tips and the tricks that made them better. This week, we got another entrepreneur. We're really kind of on a roll with these guys, but uh, this guy's really, really got a lot of enthusiasm. He's 28 years old, uh, Sam Parr. He's growing a media company. He's the founder and the CEO of The Hustle, uh, which is a kind of a, it's a content operation. Uh, it's they put on events. They put on HustleCon a couple of weeks back, which invited leading thinkers in the content space. I became aware of The Hustle when I started subscribing to their newsletter about a year ago. It's written in the most clever, um, very charming way. Uh, it's a distillation of three or four major uh, news stories in the tech and the innovation space every day. And I decided I wanted to get Sam on the show because uh, he's got a great way of putting things. And uh, it's pretty fun to, to talk to a guy who's uh, on the rise. Um, this is the first time we met. He's a dude that's full of energy. He's long on ideas. Uh, he's long on enthusiasm. And he's also got a wonderfully succinct way of putting things. Maybe it's all those books on copywriting he read. So I wanted to talk to him about communication, the problem of communication, in this day and age when uh, we're digitally connected in a way that's never been seen before in the history of mankind, yet we still have so many meetings just to align, just to understand where everyone's coming from. So I wanted to talk to him about that issue, as well as his own journey from uh, sausage seller on the street, street sausage seller, um, uh, into a uh, growing media company, uh, and a guy, a founder, who has uh, got his sights set on Vice and, and Business Insider. All right, let's start the show. Sam Parr, uh, longtime subscriber, first-time talker to you. Thank you. Uh, of The Hustle, the editor of The Hustle. So the founder of The Hustle, the CEO of The Hustle, I, I, f- I, found, I feel like there's so many titles in Silicon Valley, and titles mean so much. Do you agree? Um, not to me, no. Okay. Um, I when I introduce myself, I just say I work there. Um, no, I don't. I don't really buy into that too much. That's kind of the cool, low-key Midwestern side of you, I'm guessing. Yeah, I get accused of being very Midwestern quite a bit, and it's accurate. But yes, uh, it doesn't really matter to me. But uh, yes, that could be the Midwestern side of me. And we we hire uh, we we employ a lot of Midwestern people, so maybe interesting it's, it's in our in our culture. What are the traits that make a Midwesterner a good employee? Uh, really hardworking and humble. Right. Yeah, but also uh, like a um, a subtle boldness. Mm. Uh, like uh, you know, we value people who don't give a fuck about what others think about them, and who are oddly confident yet humble when you have just conversations with them. And uh, that's kind of like a Midwestern trait, I think. You sound like uh, that sounds kind of like a quintessential successful entrepreneur profile as well, right? I mean, you've got the kind of the really bold, brash ones that we see on Silicon Valley and on HBO. Um, and then you've got kind of the the slow burners. Yeah, um, you know you have to have a balance. I'm pretty brash and can be a loose cannon, and my co-founder is much more subtle and like a slow burner. So yeah. we yeah. balance each other quite well. Yeah. Well, so 
Let's talk about The Hustle. The Hustle is a uh, daily newsletter. It's a media company. It's yeah. basically the, the newsletter is delivered to your inbox every morning. It's delivered with, uh, it basically breaks down, I want to say, like three or four main trending. Four or five. Four or five main tech innovation trending stories. Yeah. And breaks them down in a way that's very whimsical and funny and, and gets to kind of the heart of the issue but delivers it in, in a very kind of... Um, you know, mirthful style. No so that bullshit way that's no, in, in, engaging and fun to read. And it's literally like you would say, this is how you would talk at a cocktail party. Yeah, if you had a really smart and funny friend and he or she was telling you about what's going on in the world, that's yeah. hopefully how we come off. Um, we call it the John Stewart effect. Okay. So we're very intelligent, yet uh, funny and easy to re relate to. Right, right. And you break down a lot of complicated concepts. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about communication with you because, yeah. um, you know, at Red Bull, we have tons of meetings all day. At every company on earth, we have tons of meetings all day. We have digital channels everywhere, social channels everywhere. We're constantly communicating, but it feels like we're not really communicating. Um, how much does that play into what, you know, what you thought about when you, when you started The Hustle? Well, what I, I have uh, a lot of college kids who ask me for advice, and usually what I say, and, and this is true to me, is learning how to be a great writer to basically communicate effectively via the written word I think is the most uh, impactful skill anyone in the world can, can learn. So when we launched, it was because I was a... Um, before I had a media company, I had a chain of hot dog stands, and I was really good at selling meat on the street to strangers. And I was like, how can I do this to like a lot of people? So I, that's when I learned copywriting. And the whole, it's whole, everything's predicated on how do you communicate effectively to lots and lots of people. So that's like our whole, our whole thesis is how to do that. So it's very important. But even in this day and age, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I, 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 we always joke around the office that like in the future, we're just going to be uh, communicating in emojis the whole time. Like how, how much does, do you not feel like the, the written word has kind of, uh, is on the, is on a decline? No, I think it's on a significant, uh, it's, it's raising complete, I mean, you text, you email, you everything. I mean, voice is going to be more popular and emojis are popular, but no, I mean, I mean Texas is, is growing significantly, but get rid of the tactics and the strategy is still still sound, which is uh, solid communication. Is the, I mean, learning how to communicate effectively uh, via some type of form that is scalable is, I think, the most impactful skill set anyone can learn. So, uh, no, I think Texas is going up, but it doesn't matter if it is or not. Uh, the strategy I think still exists because it, I think written the written word also I think is the most important because there's a I believe there's a direct correlation if you can write clearly you can think clearly it's not the other way around usually right right or exactly. it can be but it's not automatically right and do you is it also kind of a matter of you know, we do share the articles that are well written, right? We share the articles that are well reported, where we have the feeling that there is research. I mean, I'm you know 40, but I'm assuming that folks in their 20s and younger still value kind of accuracy and still value kind of well told stories or or cleverly told stories as a as a way to to you know to push out the word and to share. Yeah, well, so it's kind of an interesting thing. So, like I was saying, I think text is on the rise, and so there's a ton of content out there. Um, and a lot of people say there's a ton of content, therefore don't get into the game. But I actually think it's the other way around. There's a ton of content out there, but there's really a ton of shit content. And if you can have an interesting voice and be a little bit different from everyone else, then uh, pe young people or anyone will appreciate it for sure. 
Yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit later. The you know getting into a game that's pretty stacked already. You know the media business, the content game. Um, but were you a writer as a kid? I mean, was it was it something that was very natural? No, to you? no, I yeah. was not even a little bit. No, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, I still don't consider myself a writer. By the way, uh, I was not a writer. No, when I was a kid, I was a sales person, a salesman. I was always selling shit. I was uh, selling things on eBay. Right. I was... Um, We're talking about your teenage years now, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, yeah. So I would buy cross-country spikes. Uh-huh. I, I was a runner, like I told you. Right. And, you know, seniors in high school, um, after their cross-country season, I would buy their spikes from them and then sell them to freshmen or sophomores or on eBay. Okay. And, that, and so that I was not a writer, but I just knew how to sell stuff. Okay, okay. Um, and and what about... Was it something in the DNA? I mean, were your folks... My like? parents are entrepreneurs. My father um, oh. owns a... Uh, uh, a pretty successful um basically he sells onions but it's a brokerage company and he has salespeople. and basically they in a nutshell they call someone in bakersfield and they buy a million dollars of onions and then they call someone at walmart and they sell it to them for 1.1 million dollars you know what i mean that's amazing yeah so i mean this is the stuff that keeps america going right <laughs> that, yeah that nobody it, knows about right I, well I, agriculture is arguably like a top five uh Growing corn is what Americans yeah. do probably better than anything other than create entertainment. Right, right, right. So yes. That's why they're constantly having to think of new ways to use corn and sell right. corn. Right, we have, like, when people are going hungry, we have so much corn that we're using it for, like, we're like, well, maybe we could turn this into gasoline. Right, you know, like, right. Like, think of a new thing. Yeah, so, uh, so my father was a uh, produce brokerage uh, owner, and so he knew how to sell shit, and then... By hanging out with him, I learned it as well. So was it kind of like, don't you, you know, like if you want to, uh, if you want to buy that thing, you have to earn it, right? And and then you have to go out and get jobs and that sort of a deal. Well, it was it was. Um, um, so I'm born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, and it just was. If you want something, you just have to go out and you you start a business. That's just what you do. You work for yourself, and that's how I was raised. And so, you know. When he wanted something, if he wanted a new house, if he wanted a car, he wanted to send us to school, he would just sell more onions. I mean, right. you just go and you you hustle harder and you work more. So that right. was kind of how it started. Okay. And and so that, that wasn't great. And you see, you started with spikes. You moved on yeah, to... Yeah, so track and field spikes. And then I would buy and sell cars and motorcycles on um, Craigslist. Um, and then when I went to I, I went to Nashville, uh, Tennessee for university for college, I had a track and field scholarship there. But while there, I worked with this guy named Mike Wolf. Have you seen that TV show American Pickers? No. Um, basically, in two thousand and maybe seven, maybe two thousand five to like two thousand ten, it was the top five TV show on cable. But it was basically they went to old barns and they would buy motorcycle parts or gas pumps, you know, old stuff. And then they would, you know, Pawn Stars? Yeah. We were on right after that. So it was like okay. the same thing, but imagine rednecks instead of Las Vegas folks. Okay. Okay. And I worked for this guy. And while there, um, I realized that like what the word entrepreneur meant. It was like someone who actually like, created this thing. And I had been doing it for a long time, but I didn't know that that's what it, that's what it was. But basically, I met this guy on the street, Mike. He was like a, a celebrity and I was a huge fan. And I asked if I could work for him and, and he let me work for him for a year. But while there... Um, we had this store and like maybe 5,000 people a day would come to the store and it was a long line out the door. And I was like, you know, this is cool working for Mike. I learned a lot, but I want to do my own thing. And so I was like, all right, I, at the time I like to drink beer. I like to be outside and I didn't really want to wake up that early. So I was like, all right. And I don't have a lot of money. So one thing led to another and I decided to open up a hot dog stand outside of this shop and I would feed all these people waiting in line. And that was like my first, um, legal business 
So that's kind of how it started. Oh, well, it begs the question now. What was the <laughs> illegal? Well, you know, like, I, what I, I guess I'm not... Moonshine. Impl- you can say moonshine. I did moonshine. that. I did it that after, but... Uh, yeah, so you sent me the link, so I read it. Moonshine online. It's <laughs> so, uh, yeah. not. I'm not. Yeah, I don't mean like I was doing things that are illegal, but right. I uh, got a business license and my, you know, my tax ID number and all that right. stuff. Right. Right. Yes. Okay. So, and how did that feel? Um, it felt empowering. You know, like I, it's kind of when I when I tell people who want to quit their job and start a company, I'm like, you know, you're gonna be flipping out and you're gonna be freaking out, but when you go and you first do it, it's kind of like you have poor eyesight and you just put on glasses for the first time. Really? If that's what if 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 you're meant to take risk, not a lot of people are. It, taking risks is is really hard for most people, but if you like the risk and if you like the um ambiguity that comes hmm. with starting a business it feels like you're putting like it's like you finally can see you straight i wonder how you know when you're risk averse and how you know when you're just pretending to be risk averse it's kind of like how do you know if you're extroverted or introverted you know i think one way you know you're extroverted is if you get more energy by being around people or if you're introverted you gotta have to go home and like like i can't talk to anyone anymore i need to relax so yeah. it was kind of like that for me it was like i just had more energy when i was taking more risk i just well that was really well put yeah have you said that before no <laughs> that was really well that was like <laughs> <laughs> a very buttoned-up description of that. Yeah, so uh, yeah, that, that's how I feel. You know, it's, yeah. it's where do you where do you get your energy from? Yeah. And so yeah. if you get energy from taking risk and starting things, then maybe you should be doing it full time. Okay, so uh, so you had wieners for a while. Yeah, it was called Southern Sam's wieners as big as a baby's arm. Good. And, and we Good. would <laughs> and we would sell these quarter pound sausages to people and if someone sent a picture of their baby's arm on a bun with mustard on it they would get a free sausage and <laughs> that's kind of so weird it was like, kind of weird yeah it was okay. real sticky right um, and then while there i was like okay i gotta work really hard for every dollar i get you know right. i'm out here like in the heat like eight ten hours a day and then i do it at night um how can i like keep something open all the time and so um basically i read in the newspaper that there was this law enacted um kind of like in the 90s where um you know craft beer got really popular because there was a law enacted that let small that let small time brewers for like 10 grand get like a license to create beer well in nashville that happened with distilleries so before it was pretty much illegal or uh, prohibitively uh, expensive to get a license to make whiskey and that happened in a couple counties in nashville and i saw that and i knew that american culture was popular outside of america and i was like well whiskey that's made in your house that's like moonshine I mean, technically, moonshine means illegal whiskey, but, you know, the gimmick is moonshine if it's clear and in a jar. And I saw this law, and so I basically met with some, like, figured out who these sellers were, and I started selling their stuff online called Moonshine Online, and that's it took off pretty fast. But that's when I learned that the Internet was um, significantly easier than having to be out there all day hawking street meat to people. I was going to say, were you, <laughs> were you digitally savvy already at that point, or was it? No. Kinda, what year is this, by the way? 2011 2011 so yeah. recently yeah so you were you were like an analog salesman guy up until 2011 I think I still am yeah but yes oh, I was interesting. I was selling I was making like some days $80 a day some days $2000 a day selling sausages what were you learning basically how to craft a pitch to everyone and that one pitch doesn't work for for the entire group of people you have to create something different for each person um, you have to identify a need. So, like, my stupid jokes I would make to, like, a four-year-old dude was not the same that I would make to, like, a group of 22-year-olds, like, yeah. sorority women. Like, yeah, who, yeah. You know, so have to have to, how to speak differently to different groups of people. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. And how does some of that translate into the content business? Well, huh, uh, that's an interesting question. I'd have to think about it. But 
So I was doing this like moonshine thing, and then that's when I realized that Silicon Valley was the place to be for internet businesses. Yeah, and but so, why did you want to do an internet business? Oh, because you were doing because the moonshine thing was because it was internet, and I was like, right? the internet is the the internet is way better for making an impact in the world, and you could have like significantly bigger impact by using the web. Right. And and then I guess I got into content from there because I I very quickly realized that. One-on-one sales was one thing when I'm just using my my uh, my voice, but then in order to scale us up to something that can reach hundreds of millions of people, you have to um, adapt to digital, and that's I guess where content came into play. So I basically um, I moved out to Silicon Valley to San Francisco. I I, I um, was a runner in college, and I read about this one runner who quit his job to work at this company called Air Bed and Breakfast. Yeah, and I was like. Why did this runner just do that? That's interesting. Um, and so I contacted these folks at airbedandbreakfast.com, and I was like, um, I forget what I said, but I somehow finagled and got myself an interview, and they are like, do you live here? And I'm like, yeah, 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 I live there, and I was in Nashville. They're like, okay, cool, come in Monday for an interview. So I flew out there and got the, an interview, and they offered me a gig, but while there, I met this guy named John, and John, I stayed at his house on Airbnb, and I never met anyone my age that was also starting businesses because he had just quit his job, and he was like, I just had this idea for this roommate matching company. I've been working on it for a couple months, and I was like, screw Airbnb. This is way cooler. I'll come out and start this thing with you. Again, this risk thing. Right? Yeah. I mean, so I sold everything. Because you could have you been so set. Yeah, so like I think about risk a lot. I think about right. risk all the time, right. and I think that people think that uh, the uh, people don't analyze risk appropriately. They 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 put too much emotion in it, and I don't think that not working there was actually risky at all. I think that it was risky. It would have been I would have been risky more by working there. I actually think hmm. that's how I view it. Because um, you felt you would feel trapped, or you would have well, you have to look at going the up- against your nature. Or I just like measure the I I look at the upside and the downside of everything. And my goal in life is to protect the down, protect the downside, so it's not too big, and then that I can just hope for a, a really huge upswing. And I felt that if I had a, if I got a job out of college, um, I would have definitely, it, I, I, there wouldn't have been a massive upside. I don't, I didn't see the, the upside there. Um, but with starting a business, especially someone like me who I didn't come from, I was on my own, but like worst case scenario, I could have moved home and like, I'm never going to go hungry. Um, the downside just isn't that big. Right. And so right. that's just how I was thinking about it. Right. Do you go through life analyzing things like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. You, Do you think that's weird? Um, I don't know. Is it? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know. I I think it's I think it's just because I'm I'm the opposite of that. So I think that's very. I mean. I don't do it to the degree. I don't do it as dispassionately as you do, right? I think that's very maybe that's revealing of a business oriented <laughs> mind, and mine is kind no, of no. You have to balance it. You have to know when to use each yeah. thing. And yeah. so when I have to, when when I when, when I'm approaching something that that has a lot of fear in it, yeah, I use logic to get through it. But then when I'm approaching something that um like doesn't make sense, like starting a business and start and creating a product, it doesn't really. It actually doesn't make a lot of sense because. Uh, a lot of the products out there could already be great, and you're like, "Well, how on earth am I going to create something better?" It doesn't. That actually is completely logical. Right. So you have to like, I use logic for some points and emotions for other points. Got it. What a wonderful application of your skill set. Yeah, it's just manipulating everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're also quite good at cold emailing CEOs. Yeah. So um, what's the, what's the story there? Well, I learned how to be a copywriter by um, reading uh, hella books. Well, what I would do is I did this thing called copy work, which is I would um, I was really fascinated with direct marketing in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. So basically, before the internet, people would send letters, like they would write something on here and mail it to someone, and they would just um, sell them something. 
And I thought that was amazing that someone could just write a letter to a stranger and convince them to pull out their wallet, write a check, put this envelope on it, and mail it to a stranger. And I thought that was crazy. That was super cool. And so I basically spent about six months or a year where I would find the best-selling direct mailers of all time, and I would just spend like two or three hours a day, and I would copy them word for word by hand. And I got really good at copywriting, and that taught me how to get in touch with people. Um, And so I think that in 20 years, we're going to look back, and we're going to we're going to be like back in 2010, 2017, you could email literally anyone and they would respond. And that's true now. And so I basically figured out like how to guess people's emails. It's actually not that big of a deal anymore. Anyone can do it. But I learned, I used, I took my copywriting technique and then my like persistence and then the ability to email anyone. And I just would email people hundreds of times until they responded to me. And that's kind of how it started. Um, so I, persistence doesn't equal annoying the hell out of them to the well, point where they no. Die. The, or where's the balance? Yeah, in that? it's kind of like dating. You know, like when you go and hit on someone, as long as you like dating. as long as long as you make them smile, you're okay. Yeah. As long as you, yeah. <laughs> okay. So the first email has to have a witticism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as it's like like as long as it's you make it so they like get some enjoyment out of reading it, then you're okay. So what we would do is what I would or what I would do is I would like create custom gifs, or I would like research the hell out of this someone someone and like find out like what college they went to and then find out like a professor they had and then mention that professor just do some weird stuff to stick out and that's kind of how it worked <laughs> and you wouldn't even have to say i had i'm like <laughs> i i know you had this professor in college like i've never gone to that college well, i've never I, met that professor but but i mean how no i like i like i would i would like warp it into the story it's right, like hey right. i'm trying to do this i know that when you were at let's say when you were at this university and you were in this class, I know yeah. you struggled with this because I read about it. Right. I, I, this is kind of like that. So you have to do loads of research, but not send an email that sounds like you did loads of the research. Yeah, I call it stalk and talk. So you have to you have to stalk them, and then you could talk to them. And so you, when you stalk them, you stalk them. You get all this information, and it gives you all the fuel that you can use when you're chatting with someone. Yeah, and then you drop all these lines, and it makes like. Like where they where they they could tell that you are doing your work on researching them and that you care, and that's really important to connecting with people. I think, and it sounds creepy. I realize that, but yeah. it actually, it actually, crazy. it sounds like a show on Bravo. <laughs> no, it's like genuinely caring about someone and like putting in the work, right? And then like talking with them, yeah, via the written word, via the written, yeah, that's which the way to we go. which we've decided now is is actually supreme. Look, if you're gonna learn a skill set, you have to learn that. I I I really think that uh, it's most Americans suck at writing. Like they're really, really, really bad. But like it, it just helps you think so much more clear when you can write effectively because there's no such thing as writing clearly yet thinking not clearly thinking messy you have to think clearly and be able to put together your thoughts in a very well-structured way if you want to write effectively so i just think that's why it's important that's good that's wonderful i can see you (laughs) speaking at teachers conferences all across america with that too um is there a you know we we can get into your whole like startup biography but what i'm more interested in is understanding kind of the inflection points along the way why you made certain decisions why you didn't what you learned at each stop so yeah you started bunkmate right and you were called bunk sorry bunk bunk and then it was called roommates it was the world's first um roommate matching iphone app were you good at tech were you a developer? No. Where, okay. No, I, I still don't know how to. I can't log into a lot of our stuff. Okay. <laughs> Good. Okay. And <laughs> so what, but that wasn't a hindrance to you? No, because I knew early on that if I could, I was really good at organizing people and getting them to do things. And I knew that if I just went all in on that strength, as opposed to trying to become a shitty programmer, then I would be okay. Right. Okay. So it's identifying your strengths early and 
identifying strengths and going all in on yeah, strengths. But hang on. So you're how old now? I turned 28 like three days ago. So you turned 28. So happy birthday. And then um, you're like 23, 24 when you do this. And uh, 22. 20. Jesus, right? So, yeah. so I mean, at that point, you still think, you know, I think a lot of people still think they can do everything, right? A lot of people still think, hey, I'm, I'm good at this thing, but I know that this is required in the industry I want to go into. Let me, like, learn that, even though they suck at it and yeah. won't give that. You know, so how do, you, how do you have the presence of mind to really identify that early and then be confident in it? I knew that in seventh grade when I read the book How to Win Friends and Influence People. By you Jeff read Hardy. that in seventh grade? Yeah, the summer of seventh grade. You're a very odd young man. I know. Man. I yeah. was very strange. Yeah. When I read that book, I realized that— Do you have brothers, sisters? I have an older—my uh, brother is six years older than me, and my sister's five years older than me, so— so wow, I was, I, it helped. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, when I read that book, I knew that if you can control how people think and you can encourage them to do things, then your life will be easier. And so I, I knew that if I could just get good at that skill set, then I don't need to be, that'll be my skill set. I don't, I don't need to do anything else. And so that, that was the goal. <laughs> yeah. That's also, the, that's, that's the skill set of a huckster, but it's all the, also the skill set of a incredibly effective CEO. Well, look, you want, well. it's like way better to have like 5% effort from like 100 people than 100% effort of just me. Right. And like, I, you could figure that out early on that like, right. Like one thing is for sure, which is that anything great takes a lot of people. Right. And it's really hard to convince a lot of people to do stuff. So I figure I could just get really good at that, which, Arguably, I don't. I wouldn't say I'm great at it yet. I'm definitely yeah. learning, but I know for sure that that's the skill that I I need to be great at. What are the things you need to get better at in that respect? Um, organization. So, like, you know, my whole life I've been starting businesses, um, and where it was just one or two or three people, and so now that our company grew to like, you know, we'll be at. I could see us being at like 30 people in that in the next couple months, which means we've gone from like zero to 30 people in a matter of like, uh, 20 months or something. And so, like, how to organize, um, effectively organize a bunch of folks is, is, is what I'm trying to work on now. Right. And so you, you did that, and you, you – sorry, you, we were roommates, and then you, yeah, you so, got aqua-hired, and, and then the next step was, okay, what do I, what do, I do with Yeah, so I, I, I had this hot dog stand, and that was cool. I had the uh, online liquor store, Moonshine Online. That was cool. Then I moved out here, and I start, and I met John, and we started this uh, roommate matching thing. And 10 months after that, we had a very small exit, and I had to work at the company who bought us for uh, a little while. And I, on, I get, um, one year and one day, I, I quit. And I was like, all right, this wasn't for me. Okay, now I need to start, I'm going to start. I want to start something really big. What, what could that idea be? And I wasn't sure. So between like where I was at that point and hoping to find and, and finding my next big idea, I said, I'll just host an event because then I'll surround myself with other smart people and um, hopefully be inspired. So I created this thing called HustleCon, and the idea was, I, like I said, I'm from Nashville. I love live music. I love concerts. I read some stat that the conference industry was big. So I was like, well, there's clearly demand, but I love live music. Um, I'll like, try to make like a, like a conference kind of feel like a concert. And so that's when I launched HustleCon, and um, I cold emailed a bunch of CEOs, um, and then I created a ton of content, specifically newsletter content. And within like, I didn't expect this to work, but within like six weeks, I launched a website on June seventh. The event was August first, I think. What year? Two thousand fourteen. Okay. Um, I launched the event, you know, like, and then seven weeks later, or I launched the website, and seven seven weeks later, the event happened, and it made like sixty grand in profit. And I was like, damn, I did not, I don't. I did not think that that was going to happen. I thought I was going to lose money. I, I was I was completely shocked. And that was 100% or that was 95% from ticket sales. 
So there was a lot of demand for it. And then um, I was like, well, something's going on here. I don't know what's going on, but something is interesting. And so I um, took like six months where I drove around the, the country on my motorcycle and basically reflected and thought about like what to do next. Um, and while on my motorcycle trip, I read Ted Turner. He's the guy who started uh, CNN. CNN. Um, and I read his biography. And then while reading his biography, I read that the average CNN viewer was like 67 years old. And I thought his biography was really awesome. I thought that his life was amazing. He, he impacted a lot of people. But his business was going to like disintegrate soon because these people are literally going to die in the next 10, 15 years. Like his audience is going to be gone. And yet the time or, um, you know, I think it's owned by Time Warner. But, you know, they're still like 20, 30 billion dollar year businesses. So after reading his biography, I was like, well, when I did HustleCon, the rate it, the way I made it popular was just by writing content, and people heard about it. And I, I, it was the content was at least good enough to convince people to give me their money and like fly in from all the world, from all over the world to attend an event. Surely I can create news or other information that they like. And so that uh, was that was the idea um, to launch a media company. You didn't have any background in publishing. No. Right. You didn't have any background in writing news. No. But but what? That didn't seem to stop anyone else, like a lot of my other here. I mean, I don't know, you, you know. Yeah, I mean, what what do you think was the biggest mis- What do you think uh, is the biggest mistake when you go into publishing? Um, putting people on a pedestal. So, like, I heard this word journalist, and I thought that I put them on a pedestal, and I realized that's not true. Um, you know, nowadays anyone with a phone could be a journalist and can and can write compelling stories. Um, so I put people on a pedestal, and I when we launched, I used all of my money from the events. From, so we I had about half a million dollars, and I used that to hire journalists. And they were all like from Columbia journalism schools and things like that, and it ended up not working out well. So the big, a big mistake I learned early on was thinking that peop, these folks who are – like the media industry is changing like crazy, and so folks who are trained in traditional ways so for some, some, from, from some of the best journalism schools probably maybe cannot adapt to what we're trying to do. Hmm. So that was a big mistake. Hmm. That's interesting uh, because I'm thinking I'm thinking you know what they're taught at Columbia is kind of how to you know how to drill down for accuracy and how to you know how to create stories that are you know that present all the different views and that are balanced and that sort of a thing and and I feel yeah like, but they don't know how to write a headline that's going to get shared on Facebook right. and that's just as important as you have to do all of those things right you know right. you have to do it all you have to be able to write a good good headline but also be accurate so how do you uh, do you do you find that you started with one and then brought up brought in the other and are are getting better at the other or what do you mean? Well, do you find that you started with with uh, getting content out there that people would share and be interested in and then you know work on the work on the accuracy or yeah we did that. So mm-hmm. when we launched the hustle, the the original premise behind it was like let's create something that's a mixture of vice and business insider. So like a bit like a vicey type of like um, where we'll do a lot of crazy things, but we'll like appeal to like the young professional. Right. And so when we launched, what we did was there's this whole group of people who are scammers on Kindle. Like, well, they'll like write like, like I basically have a lot of friends who do it. They're like these like nerdy guys, but they write like self help books on how to sleep with women, and they pr- pretty much just all plagiarize one another and then p- smack on a uh, catchy cover and title, and then they buy a bunch of fake reviews on Amazon. Um, and so we basically wrote a book where we became a best selling author in like a week. No way. Yeah, 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 yeah. What was the name of the book? Captivating Claire. It was a love novel. Novel. So basically, we figured out. We did a bunch of uh, research, and we found out that the the most popular uh, 
category on Kindle was these like stay at home moms who love to read about three things. One, either uh, it's like white women who like to have sex with black men, uh, women who want to have sex with werewolves, and women who want to have sex with military men. And so we made a, like a black werewolf military man. Yeah, why not? Why not like hit all cover. three? Yeah, why not? <laughs> and, and then we like went and like like <laughs> to call these people out. This is by the way, we did this like to call people out, and then we it, it got kind of popular. We get all these fake reviews, and we wrote an article about how we did this, and uh, it got crazy popular. Um, it got seen. That was when we first launched. It happened the first week, and the first week we it got like a, 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 probably a million views. As well as like a, a couple lawsuits uh, that were uh, we uh, since went away because we plagiarized people and like uh, joked about it. But yeah, it was a wild first week when we launched. <laughs> I mean, I'm speechless. So, but uh, so anyway, the point was yes, point, we learned how to get a lot of uh, traffic early on. Growth was, hacking, right? Is that what it's called? I like, don't call it that, but some people probably do. Okay, all um, right. What do you call that? Building the mar- audience? Yeah, just like marketing, just like. Yeah doing cool stuff that people share (laughs) yeah 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 exactly did you um so it was it was conference conference first and newsletter second yeah how did you balance this idea and i mean this is maybe a bit esoteric but you know the the you know wither the website right in this day and age um so how did you balance the newsletter versus the need to get content on the website like what was your priority there so our goal is i want to we want to create a really 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 large media empire i mean like um i'm really inspired by like bloomberg i want to create a bloomberg or a cnn and in order to get there we knew that we had to create a sustainable business model first and then we're going to use that to grow and we could take more funding soon or we could do a lot more things but we just needed to get like the foundation strong because the media world has some weird funky business issues going on right now and a lot of people have raised lots of money and they don't actually have a sustainable business so early on i knew conferences can be like tens of millions of maybe like a 10 or 20 million dollar year business which is like cool but not like massively meaningful but of that 10 million 20 million dollars it could be really 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 profitable and i knew that i could use that all that money to fund journalists and the thing about writing is or the media is it takes a while to actually make a lot of money because you have to build up a large audience so i i knew early on that we could take like those monies and fund them into media and then eventually media will get bigger and then what we also learned along the way was uh, getting traffic to a website is actually really difficult right now because Facebook is playing lots of games and they're changing everything and people rely too much on other platforms. And so I always loved the idea of having a pirate ship where we could do whatever we wanted to do. And I felt that email was a really great way to do that. And so um, I just did a ton of research where I learned about companies like Realist or Daily Candy that launched in the early 2000s. And I figure, why can't we try that and do an email? And it just so happens that I read some stat that like more young people spend just as much time, if not more, in their inbox than they do on Facebook. Hmm. So I figure, well, that's where there's a lot of tension. Um, if there's a ton of attention there, let's try an email-only um, media company at first. Interesting. Well, and did expand you, beyond that. Sure, uh, but but, but we, like, and then the email also converted into conference signups then as well yeah right? yeah and so that's what, what was the conversion rate there was it like um well hustlecon's actually this friday you know hustlecon's so we have millions of people who consume our content now right. a month many right. millions uh like half a million a day so um and our conference hustlecon's on friday only about about 2500 people will show up so it's slim it's small but those profits like will fun, can fund a lot of people a lot of yeah it's good 
It's <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. But now our media business is actually way bigger than the events business. It happened a lot faster than we thought. Interesting. So yeah. you started because you saw events make money events, and then money you of... can pour into media. Yeah, and that's right. Mm-hmm. So the thing about events is it hits it, it has a really low ceiling, but you can get to that ceiling really fast. Right. Right. Okay. So now with media, it's got a much bigger ceiling, but it takes a little longer to get to that. Uh, ceiling got it and so yeah we did we just understood that earlier and on. you you took as your coverage area the tech and innovation space which i think is very interesting for you personally because you know it was a area that you didn't know too much about right i mean you had steeped yourself into it when you when you came out to san francisco and probably got what was your impression of it Were, was it as kind of shangri-la as you thought it was going to be or was it kind of um a bit disappointing no, it was as amazing as I thought it was. It was. What was be. about Look, it? Look, like, I'm from like I'm from the city of St. Louis in Missouri. I'm not like I'm not from like a high tech area. And when I saw like what these companies can do in a you know uh, like you've interviewed Justin Kahn, Twitch is like 11 year old company maybe. Yeah. When I and you and and like how many people watch or use Twitch? I don't know, maybe a billion people a year, a, a lot, a, yeah. a ton of people, yeah. hundreds of millions. And when I saw that. That could happen in the, in that short amount of time, in a matter of five or ten years. I just it just blew my mind, and so yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, what about the people? Are they cool? Well, you know, San Francisco and Silicon Valley are interesting because there's lots of extreme personalities. So there's a ton of douches and there's a ton of amazing people, and um, you know, it's just like any other industry. I lived in Nashville where I was part of the music industry. Yeah, know, which is so cool. Well, but there's just as many like weirdos and assholes okay. and douchebags, and you know yeah, you gotta yeah, yeah it, it, it they're fine. Um, you know there's lots of winners and there's lots of losers. You just gotta pick who you hang out with, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's fun to like make fun of ourselves and like make fun of Silicon Valley, but yeah. um, uh, there's weirdos in every industry in every city. So very it, diplomatically it, said, and also just, someone who thrives in that weirdo scene. So well, it's, it's like, just it's just part of the territory, you know. Yeah. We're in LA, you know, you could make the same about uh the entertainment industry. Oh yes. You know and many have, right. And you say like there's geniuses who are actually changing the world and there's also like sure. a bunch of blowhards who are like just sure they're just impossible to be around. Um, what I think is really interesting about you is you're um incredibly savvy at learning the things that you don't know and um really committing yourself to that um and you're you're an entrepreneur like through and through really the, the way i would i would imagine that to be and and so much of entrepreneurism uh, is you know building companies making money you know reaching success that sort of thing when you're in media though there's a certain responsibility with it yeah, it's so cool. So how do you balance the two? Yeah, so like one of the theses for our business is we okay, so Bloomberg, Bloomberg is a maybe a 10 billion dollar a year business, but um they hire they probably have the biggest newsroom in the world or one of. Yet 99% of the revenue comes from selling their blue, their software. And I think that business model is awesome. As opposed to say a company like Business Insider, it's 99% ad driven. And I believe that with media, I think that it's like it's our like it's our responsibility to find a really sustainable and wonderful business model for media because I don't know, that's just like the, the burden. I think that it's just a fun problem to solve. It's, it's what we've chosen to, to try to accomplish. And I think that there is responsibility for creating media because you can actually sway. We can actually change outcomes of certain events, you know, like look at the recent uh, election, like media was a huge factor there. Like media can actually change 
culture. Yeah, the the wrong media was a huge factor there, right? Right, right, right. So so it's like, but media nonetheless, it right. it, it impacted mm-hmm. the outcome, mm-hmm. and we have close to um, let's say four hundred thousand people a day consuming our stuff. Um, we can change how certain things happen. If I was really vent like spiteful and hateful, I could like we could like ruin people's lives if we wanted to. Like we could right. like spread rumors. We could. Yeah, you could do a lot of crazy stuff, and I think that that's a really cool responsibility to have as long as we're hopefully continuing to do the right thing. Well, it's a serious responsibility to have. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> I it's, mean, it's, it's, not like, it's not like cool. It's well, like, it's cool like, as in it's like, it's like a really fun challenge. It's fulfilling. Right, it's right. very fulfilling to do correctly. Right, right. How about your community? Um, is it about kind of empowering them to make... What what do you what do you want your community to get out of the hustle? That's exactly what it is. So we use the word uh, empower, educate, and entertain, or inspire, educate, and entertain. Yes. Yeah, so we want to empower them. I think that um, I think that giving people the right basically it's all about making decision making. So I want to give people the right information they need to make better decisions. Right. And that's like at the core of what we're trying to do with our audience for our, for our community. I think that a lot of media out there it's too far left or it's too far right. And there are very few people that are no bullshit and just say it like it is. And we're trying to be that that property. Do you have younger? Um, I mean, do, do you have a grasp on your demographics as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, lots of recent college grads, tons of 25, 26-year-old. Huh. Um, we have a handful of folks. Like we have an 82-year-old woman who will respond to a lot of our stuff. So some older folks, but mostly all uh, people in their uh, – mid 20s and early 30s right and what's interesting is that that area that you're operating in is that you know people can really it's very utilitarian right there's a lot of people among your subscriber list who are probably starting companies or working for companies that are startups or you know wanting to get in that space so it's you know it's different than like the skim or you know kind of like a lifestyle type newsletter right it's yeah, it's more yeah, utilitarian yeah. almost it's yeah i mean that's and that's why i can i look at bloomberg and wall street journal as as great examples it is very we are trying to be a little bit more of a utility so when we first started we were very entertainment and it was actually uh we said we want to be more of a service than just entertainment right, um and right. so it was very much on purpose right okay we wanted people to need us as opposed to just like like us to laugh right right you know what i mean yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's it's uh, there's there's so many other uh, content operations competing for that water cooler thing, right? Like how to say something, like saying something clever that you know people remember and want to share with with others verbally. So it's and like, I wasn't good at that. I, right. I wasn't particularly funny. Uh, so I wasn't. I you wasn't weren't a stand-up comic before. You no, 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 no. I was. I I could people would laugh at me sometimes. Were but. you good at Were you good at putting yourself out there though? Where does that come from? That uh, that pitch man thing. Um, uh, just wanting to like crush it. I don't know. And make, but were like, you self conscious? <laughs> I mean, because uh, understand like you know a lot of people who I mean some people who get into that space get into it because they have a deficit of that extrovert. Um, maybe yeah. There, you know, there's always been a little bit of a chip on my shoulder of like wanting to like prove that I can like be something. But no, I never really cared about uh, like what you know what people thought. Right. Yeah. So I never really had that. Right. Um, yeah. I've never really cared. <laughs> and that helps. Yeah. Sometimes. When you're selling hot dog on the street. Yeah. Because you look like an idiot. Yeah. Like everything I've ever done, it always looks stupid early on. Arguably, still looks stupid. But particularly when you're first starting, you look like an idiot. And so okay. uh, you know, uh, you, 
Southern Sam's wiener's as big as a baby's arm. If I told someone I was going to do that before it actually started working, they they called me a moron. Right. So yeah, everyone thought I was an idiot. Right. <laughs> so it's it. But and, and then there's so much um, in this whole idea of um, failing fast in Silicon Valley, right? And yeah, I never completely understood that. I don't want to okay. fail. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but isn't that how you learn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, but I don't like some people take that too literal. They're like, start something and fail fast. No, succeed fast, but right. like be willing to fail, but don't fail. Right. Win. Right. Right. Just create something great. Right. And, but like take risk and be willing to fail, but no, yeah. don't, don't fail. Was there a point with the hustle <laughs> when he thought, okay, this might not work out? Not yet. Um, okay. There, it's always been proven, and that's, that's a shitty answer, but as so far, it's always proven that, you know, like this can be. This will be mediocre of mediocre size. So what we're trying to do is how do we make this like massive, massive, massive? And there are times where I'll think to myself, "Shit, like, do we have what it takes to like be huge?" You know, there are times when I like flip out about that. But um, you know, we haven't had that scare yet. There's been times where we, I thought, "Yeah, I, I mean, I guess so." There, there's times where you have like crises where you like, you're like. Uh, this is the worst thing on earth. This is not going to work, yeah. I guess. But yeah. so far, we haven't had anything where it's been like we can't make payroll. Right. Thank right. God. Right. Okay. And you're at thirty people now. No, no, we're at fifteen. But we're gonna 15. we're high, we're, we're the business is good, and we're gonna hire a bunch of people. You know, one of the goals is to create thousands of jobs. So we kind of have a bias for hiring people. So we're gonna try and hire a, a ton of people. That's very admirable, especially in a media organization where you could aggregate a lot of stuff or let algorithms write your pieces. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess you can call it admirable. I just think it's selfish because I like hanging out with a lot of people. Right. So I'm just hoping to buy all my <laughs> which, friends. Which would explain. Which would explain <laughs> hustle. Con. Yeah, I just want to hang out with a ton of people. How do you upend that? And then we'll we'll kind of segue out with that. But uh, how do you upend conferences? Because you know that TEDx or TED model where someone's on the stage like gesticulating with their hands yeah that's talking about silly. some shit is like i hate really when people say they speak point. in ted when it's tedx it's silly but yeah. um how yeah. do we how do we what why because hold on hold on ted is like the legit one and tedx is like anyone can speak well in a that's like what i said about a bunch of blowhards you know that's one right. of the things that's one of the cringe parts of silicon valley is going to vancouver and flying out there where, i don't yeah. even know where Ted. one of the part in fact the first e the third or fourth email that I wrote about HustleCon, I, I called it a less douchey version of a TED Talk. Sweet. That was the tagline. How are you going to make pull that off, though, if there's like a hell, a whole bunch of TED-type TED, fo, TED people in the audience? I don't know. I mean, it, we could become a caricature of ourselves, but right. uh, I don't know. <laughs> How funny you could appear. It could be meta, and you could appear in a Hustle newsletter. Yeah, so, I th as long as we're self-deprecating, we'll be okay. Right. So what were the elements that you wanted to go, um, that you wanted, you definitely wanted in that conference that you think would have been different? Um, well, I've always wanted tickets to be affordable. For a long time, TED was tens of thousands of dollars. I don't know how much it costs now, um, but um, they even had like a you could become like a patron and, and give them like a hundred grand a year, and I thought that was crazy. Um, and so one thing that we did was we wanted it to be extremely affordable for everyone, or not everyone, but you know like within reason within reason to be affordable. Um, so that's one thing we did early on. And then another thing is um, all of our events have to be in um, a music venue. Are our big conferences. We want them to be in venues that feel like concert theaters um, or concert halls and theaters. Right, right. So that's one thing that we do. Um, and then if you look at a lot of our branding, we are quite self-deprecating. We will use the word douchebag in a program. Right, um, right, right. <laughs> and so, yeah, we do things like that. That's good. Yes. And I mean, in this age of Silicon Valley, 
on it. Yeah, people you take know. themselves too seriously. Well, and also the but they're they're comfortable with being skewered maybe in a way. You know, this this kind of industry, this scene is ripe for skewering at this point. So why not tilt at the windmill, right? Right. That's, uh, yeah, I think that everyone I, I you know, it's like South Park. Everyone deserves to be made fun of. Right. <laughs> right. And this is the people we're making fun of. And this is the ethos of a growing media business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. No one's safe. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, thank you very much. Yeah, man. thanks for having me. Awesome, man. That was great. All right, Sam Parr, thank you very much. Thank you for all that insight. A lot of inspirational insight, actually. It makes me want to go out and start up a startup, you know? Uh, thanks to the regular pod crew. Thank you, actually, first and foremost, to Amy, who helped facilitate this. She's one of our pod aim- angels. Uh, first name James, first name in engineering. Pod engineering, I should say. I don't know if he's first name in the other engineering. Uh, Unique Monique, Ryan the Turbo Thurban. Our producer is T. Rizza. New addition to the pod crew. Nicole, don't call me Steve Buscemi. Bringing the uh, social video skills to the battle. Uh, look for social content around sam on the red bulletin facebook page and we'll look forward to seeing you next week